Hello, people joining. Please turn on your video so we can see your beautiful faces. You know, here at Juicy, we like to use the meeting format whenever we can so that we get to see your beautiful faces. And I already see Iris, and that's awesome. Nice to see you. Excellent. There's Catherine, there's Jessica, Fiona. Hello, everybody. Great to see everyone. And thank you so much for joining us for this really important conversation today. And so we just wanted to go through a few things and then I'm gonna turn it over to Valerie who's gonna be running the show here. So first things first, we wanna know who you are, where you're from and what your spirit animal is. And I'm pretty sure everyone in the world knows that my spirit animal is a squirrel because they're a little bit crazy and sometimes they have a hard time focusing, but they get a lot done and they're super resourceful. So squirrels are awesome. They're not rats with pretty tails. Don't even try that with me. So please in the chat that's just right there at the bottom, introduce yourself. If you'd like to share online, please use the tagline, Juicy Online. And then, um, yes, we are recording this. Yes, it will be available afterwards. Also, all the links that our hosts are gonna provide for us, we will include with the recording, so, so you don't have to frantically be jotting those down. And then we have a couple of quick polls I wanted to do to get to know everybody. So I'm gonna put one up real quick while you guys are introducing yourselves in the chat. And the first one is, um, kind of about how you feel right now. Do you feel like you should be issuing a statement? Yes, no, or you're not sure. If you guys could just weigh in on that, that would be super helpful. And we'll just give you a minute to fill that out. Do you guys see the poll? No? Interesting. That's because no one's voting on it. Okay, one person voted. Okay, now you see it, good. Okay, here we go, excellent. So it looks like yes is winning in grand fashion right now, but we'll share the results with you in just a second. While you're waiting, please feel free to introduce yourself in the chat. Again, this will be recorded. And as we go through, please enter your questions into the chat. We'll be scraping the chat and putting it into a document and we will get to your questions after a little bit. Okay, so it looks like if we share the results right here, it looks like the vast majority of you feel like you should be issuing a statement. 1% say no and 5% say don't know. Interesting. So I'm gonna do one other poll and then we'll turn it over to Valerie. So one second. I'm just getting to poll number two. And this is about, um, do you feel comfortable um, reaching out to your local black community? And uh, this is all anonymous. So um, this is a yes, no, or I'm not sure. And we'll just leave that up for a second. Um, again, if you have questions during the presentation, please put them in the chat while we wait for this poll to finish and then we will get started. Just give you guys a few more seconds on this. Looks like almost everyone has voted. So I will share this with you. And the good news is that um, the majority of you do feel comfortable. Some of you don't and some of you aren't sure. So good, we will be talking about that today. 
So now that you've introduced yourselves, hopefully, let's move on to the next slide, Stormy. And you guys know Stormy and Rachel on my team, they're both here. So today we're super excited to have Valerie Williams with us. She has generously donated her time and she has run diversity and inclusion at Slack and Airbnb and now she has her own firm. And then she's also gonna be joined by um, Ebby and I believe Roy is unable to attend or drive that backwards, Valerie. Um, Roy actually was able to call in, so they're both here. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah. Well, good. Welcome, Roy and Ebby. We will get <laughs> your mics turned off here in a second. And in the meantime, I'm going to turn it over to Valerie um, because she is our expert and I am not. So I'm going to shut up and let the experts take over. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Liz, and thank you all for being here. Um, we are in an interesting time right now, for sure, and um, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, ways um, to engage during this time, ways to engage with your members, um, the Black members um, that, are, that are part of your co-working space, ways to engage with your local Black community, and sort of like real-time solutions on how to react, what do I do, what do I not do. So I have a few um, resources to share with you. Um, we also, as Liz mentioned, are joined by Rory and Ebby. So I'll let them introduce themselves and obviously we'll be weaving them into the conversation. Um, and then we wanna leave a lot of time for Q&A and get your real time questions answered. So um, we'll leave about 20 minutes or so towards the end for Q&A. So um, in the meantime, feel free to drop your questions in the chat box. That's how we'll be collecting questions. Um, and we'll we'll get be sure to get to those. Okay, so Liz gave gave a great poll around issuing a statement, um, and I think that'll be a good place for us to start. Um, but I want to also give Rory and Ebby an opportunity to introduce themselves. I'll talk a little bit about first why they're on the call, um, and if you can see my screen, um, you can see that. Three, three of the four of us um, are on this call, but four of us will be having this conversation tomorrow for, this is specifically for corporate America, for people that are hiring a ton, that have black employees. It's a conversation to really authentically engage the black community during this time. So I thought it would be interesting to have Ebby and Rory come on the call and, and offer sort of their expertise and their um, um, uh, you know, thoughts around uh, this time as well. Um, so I want to give them a moment to introduce themselves first, and then I'll go through some of the resources that we have available that I think will be useful for this community to um, have, um, and then we'll, we'll open it up for Q&A after that. So, um, Evie, do you want to take a moment and introduce himself, yourself and talk a little bit about Yardstick? Yes, sure. So apologies for being a bit late. Um, my name is Evie Parsons, and I'm the founder and managing partner here at Yardstick Management. Uh, we are a global management consulting firm that supports DEI initiatives. Uh, we, we do comprehensive DEI support efforts. Uh, our clients um, span the gamut of some of the world's largest companies, Facebook, EY, Netflix, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, we're doing quite a bit of work supporting these organizations in their, their comprehensive DEI strategies from why DEI is important in helping organizations define diversity through selecting and identifying talent to also building programs 
uh, to just ensuring that their executive ranks, the C-level uh, executives are also um, from underrepresented groups. So that's us and that's what we do at Yardstick. Awesome, thank you so much. And Rory, did you wanna introduce yourself and talk a little bit about Protege? Sure, I'm Rory Barrett. I'm the managing partner of Protege Search. We are an executive search and executive coaching firm focused on diverse talent. We place mid and senior level talent at corporations like PayPal, Hasbro, Freddie Mac, and we do executive coaching across sectors and have clients including Poly, Boeing, and others. Uh, I'm a former executive recruiter at two of the big search firms and worked at the NFL in both public affairs and as, as the head of public affairs and the head of talent there. So uh, I can speak a little bit about crisis management. Awesome. We, we're going to get to that right away um, and um, want to talk about, and I'll give a little context more on Converge. You know, uh, thank you for the introduction, Liz. But just so everyone knows, I work with early stage organizations to think through their initial DEI strategy. And I also help companies um, host courageous conversations, kind of like the conversation that we're having today. Um, okay, let's get right to the crisis management piece, because I think that is quite critical for this community as um, a community of people that own co-working spaces that manage communities in their local cities and states. Um, a lot of people are considering, you know, should I release a statement? Should I not release a statement? A lot of the work that we do at B. Rory and myself are with like larger organizations where it may, may make sense to release a statement. But Rory, I want to lean on your expertise as someone who has worked through crisis management for very large organizations. How do you think through whether it makes sense or not to, to release a statement? Um, and, you know, how would you think through that process if you were thinking through it? So I thank you, Valerie. I think a lot through crazy analogies. Some of them stick. Some of them will be just ridiculous. But when I think about crisis management, I think about the organization as a family and having to deliver a message to a family member. If I have to tell my mother uh, she should stop eating unhealthily because she has diabetes, I'm not the one to say that. My sister is the one to say that. And so I think sometimes we have to think about that in the corporate context of why are you making a statement, right? What is the business purpose behind this? who is the messenger best to make that statement and who are you speaking to all right so those are just a core set of elements and then i would say after that you want to preview this message uh, to someone before you go public about it just get some eyes on it so that it's not tone deaf or you inadvertently step into a controversial topic or in most cases, you inadvertently use the wrong vocabulary. Vocabulary in DNI is critical. And most times we don't have the precise language to capture the nuance of what's happening. I remember, for example, um, working at the NFL where there could have been an opportunity missed to talk about some of these scenarios from a personal perspective, right? That people should make this personal. There's a an article trending on the internet right now, I think it's a parody, but it's a statement made by the National Toothpick Company on racial, you know, racism and police brutality. And it was, it was, it's, it's made in jest, I believe, to talk about how every company is now part of this, oh, me too, we have a statement to make. And so in an era when, where authenticity is the calling card for uh, corporate values, you can actually hurt 
your corporate reputation by making a statement that is inauthentic, uses the wrong vocabulary, speaks from the wrong posture, and talks and is distributed to the wrong audience. So those are, I think, some, some key elements to think through as you, as you make a statement. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's so good, Rory. So, so true. If, you know, it's almost like if you can't come up with an authentic statement that is true to who you are, true to your values, then you shouldn't do it. Um, in these statements, I've been seeing a lot of sort of like the commitments. Okay, we're going to commit to make a donation or we're going to commit to look at our internal processes or we're going to commit to engage with our local communities more. Um, Ebby, I'm curious if you have, you know, you work a lot on engagement. Um, I'm curious if you have thoughts on like, um, you know, what are the real sort of like actionable things that you could talk about as a commitment in a statement um, that would seem still authentic, but um, would also seem like something impactful to do? Are those, what, what are your thoughts on that? Might still be on mute. Oh, he needs to be unmuted. Oh, there we go. I unmuted. There yeah. we go. The host had to unmute me. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, this is really important when we talk about commitment. Um, I, I completely agree with everything Rory just said around authenticity being key. And if you don't really have anything uh, tangible to say, it, it may not even be the right thing to make a statement. I can tell you now, we work with a lot of different organizations on this. A few things to be very specific about, um, particularly now, um, as we're talking about racial injustice and black people specifically, don't lump black and people of color into the same conversation, the same text. We're, we're specifically saying, say black. Um, a lot of organizations just struggle with, with even using the word black. Um, should we say African-American and just, it's, it's okay, black people identify as black. Um, but you got to be pretty specific because your message gets diluted when you say people of color. And then when it comes to action steps, um, one organization, and I can speak to it uh, specifically, um, the Atlanta Symphony, perfect example. Uh, They were initially planning to put out a message that essentially says, we stand with black people and we're going to do some introspection and, and reflection to see what we can do here in Atlanta. Now, a lot of organizations struggle because they think that taking any action requires money. Um, But what we help them understand is it didn't cost them a penny to change practices and policies. So if you know anything about uh, classical music, many, many um, orchestras require an audition. And many of those auditions, very few of them are blind through the entire process. So the ASO's process was essentially blind until you get to the last stage and then you and then you get a chance to see the musicians. The challenge with that is that doesn't eliminate bias. So we've already seen the research. Black musicians, for instance, don't audition at symphony orchestras that aren't blind the, the entire process. So you're already limiting your applicant pool right there. Um, then you're still intentionally introducing bias at the last round. So that's, that's a specific example of a challenge that exists. And they took the stance, okay, now we're gonna fight with our union to, to take a stance. Our entire process will be blind. And alum of our very specific diversity program are also gonna automatically make it to the second round of this blind audition process. So that's an example of taking an action step, fixing a, a broken empty statement into making it something 
actionable and not spending money to be successful at it. Mm-hmm. I love that because so many people feel like they have to write the large check, right, to the right organization. And there are really, really critical, tangible things that you can do for your community, for your organization that don't take a lot of money, that just take actually a lot of effort. Um, and um, I, I just love that. So um, hopefully that's enough guidance for everyone on their statements. If not, feel free to, to ask more questions in the chat. Um, but again, think about your audience, think about your language, have someone screen it, speak specifically about Black America, um, be very clear on your stance. I work with some clients on, I'm like, what is your stance? Are you standing in solidarity? Are you like standing for anti-racism? Um, think through your actual language and be authentic to what you actually believe. Um, and um, be action oriented. But if you have more questions, drop them in the chat. We'll keep talking about um, statements um, since that seems to be a very hot topic. What I wanted to shift to too as well, so again, we have this conversation. Again, if you're a company and need help, more help, we have this conversation tomorrow. I want to talk a little bit about our call to action. Um, and I think this is relevant um, still to this community and also go through some of the resources that are on this page. So um, again, a statement is one thing, a donation is one thing, but what are the ways that you as an organization are thinking through how to dismantle anything that may be um, racist, may be um, having some sort of bias in there? Um, and so these are the areas that we're talking to, again, to like our, like our corporate clients, around economic empowerment. And I think this is very powerful for this co-working space community. Um, thinking about how are you building black wealth in your community? How are you really supporting black businesses? Um, and so there's, you know, obviously our corporate clients are thinking about how to do this, um, but especially like a co-working space, like how can you really engage with that community? So that's one area to really look at if you wanna think about sustainable change in this area. These other areas, again, leadership and board composition, equitable people system, authentic engagement within a corporate environment and really cultural awareness as you start to build products and think about how to market those products, really having the awareness um, to not come across tone deaf, to not come across like it's an exploitation and not really a collaboration and an appreciation for the black community. So we'll go deep into that tomorrow, but I want to show our resources that we have here um, that I think could be helpful for this community. So a lot of people are talking about anti-racism. This is a great doc that I've found that really has a lot of articles and books and podcasts. We're seeing a lot of movement towards people integrating anti-racism within their language, both at the company level. I'm talking to a lot of universities. I'm talking to business school programs. A lot of people are integrating, um, you know, required reading around this topic. So this is a really great resource for you. Uh, to look at. We also have um, organizations to follow on social media to see some of the um, really good programming that's out there, really good ways to get involved. Um, there's a long list here with all of their social media, so feel free to look into that. But I think this is a really good trusted list of organizations if you're looking to like, you know, how, how can I help? Um, how can I continue to like be engaged in this process? So you have that list here. Um, and then a lot of like, <laughs> think pieces and a lot of um, uh, medium articles on um, anti-racism that I think is really, really helpful here. So we have that on this website. The website is rebuildtoday.org. Um, so that's one great resource that we have here for you. Um, additionally, um, I wanted to talk through this 
safe space conversation guide. Um, the next kind of thing that I talked to Liz about that I think could be um, helpful for this community is if you are looking to host a conversation, um, if you're looking to host a conversation in your community, how do you do that? Um, you're gonna see me log into my Google accounts um, now, but um, how do you actually have a safe space conversation for your community members? So um, yeah, skip this, thank you. Okay, um, and so I've created this guide. Um, it is definitely a guide that was created for a small stage organization of about 90 people. Um, and I helped them host this safe space conversation, but I think it could be applicable for this community. So um, I wanna just look at, show, talk about the framework of how to set it up. So there's some language here on how to email your community about the conversation. So what language to use, how to show general support. So there's there, that, that is included in the guide. Um, and then there's a whole facilitation agenda of having, what's really important here is having a facilitator that can have this conversation. So you wanna have representation from your, from like the leadership um, of your space, actually open up the conversation and then have someone that can actually facilitate it. And so this guy helps you think through um, who can open it up, how to have that conversation. And then um, what I wanted to talk about today, which I think is really helpful is about allyship. So yes, we have a conversation, we air out everything and then now what? So allyship is really um, taking action using the privileges that you have, using the power that you have, and really taking action with that privilege on behalf of an impacted community. So the first step about allyship, um, the first step of allyship is understanding privilege and understanding that probably all of us on this call have some level of privilege. Even as we're talking a lot about the black community and a lot about white privilege right now, but even as a black woman, I have a lot of privilege, right? And so it's about how can we all use our privilege to help impacted communities. So the first part is acknowledgement, which I call it out because so many people are not acknowledging it. So many people are not saying that this is an issue. So many people are not acknowledging it. So it's super, super critical that you have an awareness to say, you know what, this exists. These people are not crazy, this exists. So step one is acknowledgement. Step two is owning your own education. The reason I started with the resources is that you know, as leaders of your, your co-working space, as leaders in, the, in your community, you own your own education around these topics. So um, there's a lot of, and I, I wanna bring Ebby and Rory into this conversation because I know that you probably got a lot of calls, a lot of text messages from your non-Black friends on like, how are you? What do I say? So um, any thoughts, Ebby or Rory, on, um, you know, how have you seen the engagement of allies in your community? What has resonated with you? What has, um, what has been really powerful allyship in your life? And what are the ways that people have reached out to you that's like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have said that, or I wish they would have given me my space. So any, any, any thoughts there, Ebby or Rory? Yeah, so I can... I can give a couple examples of the horror stories that I'm sure everybody's had yeah. and, um, and actually some, some really interesting um, ideas that I came across. So, so we've heard the, well, but, but, black li but, but black lives aren't the only lives that matter. And I'm sure you guys have seen all the memes around um, Nobody's saying that like Black Lives Matter isn't saying that all lives don't matter. It's just that Black lives are the ones that are endangered. So in order for all lives to matter, Black lives have to matter too. <clears throat> um, 
So we've we've had I've, I've got a bunch of that kind of stuff that just sounded crazy. Then there was the there were there were several allies that, that say you know I, I stand with you, um, but don't but aren't willing to take any real tangible actions. But then then I can tell you a couple of the the, the, the positive stories. Um, an Indian friend of mine actually called, uh, and he 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 basically had a the intro to the conversation was, hey, we are the model minority. We we've we've taken advantage of all the opportunities here in America, but some of the other things, we'll, I got to be honest, we um, he said we were kind of culture vultures. Like all of my favorite musicians are black. All the favorite clothing dress styles growing up were black. He he just acknowledged how how his specific community has benefited from the black community um but being a model minority that has access to resources and economics and what he did which i thought was really interesting and he asked for some guidance and i'll even tell you guys about the advice but he says we know the job creation and wealth creation is going to be critical for the black community to get ahead and so he's raised a fund and within three days he's already got over a million dollars from just his friends um, and what that fund is going to be doing is going to be a three-year fund. He wants to have $3 million so he can invest a million a year and splitting it across sectors. So one is entrepreneurship, one is education, and they're still trying to define, to define the other two sectors, but restricted funds. So there's an organization, for instance, one of our clients is Venture for America. They are an organization that is creating the next generation of entrepreneurs, but instead of just trying to give Venture for America a donation, he wants to restrict it to very, very specifically to their black founders. So that way, the founders that are going through some of the most rigorous pre-entrepreneurship training are going to have access to resources that they're going to desperately need to run their businesses. So that was, one, that was probably the best allyship example that I have. If I can just chime in. Um... Can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, I think a call from a white friend is enough. They don't have to have the cure for uh, structural racism. They don't have to uh, go fund me a reparations check. Uh, they can just say, how are you? That is enough. Uh, I've had white friends do that. And uh, I've told grown white men, I love them. And they've said, I love you back. That is meaningful in these moments. It is also meaningful the people who don't call, uh, who I watch post on social media pictures of the dogs or a cycling contest or a new lentil soup recipe. And I'm like, great, my world is coming apart. I'm debating my existential uh, position in the country and you have a new lentil soup recipe. And so we had a discussion on social media recently that uh, I, I think was a good teaching moment about this where uh, a friend of my wife who's black made a comment and said, you can't take what people are posting on social media as evidence of their values. You know, people don't post what they believe passionately on social media. Excuse me. And the, and the point was raised, that very posture of telling a person of color how they should frame who's an ally is a moment of privilege. Like that's the kind of not your position to really say how I should frame how I think allies are and are not and what's right to do and what's not right to do. And so the, the lesson that I think we all took from that, uh, 
And some white allies kind of chimed in on that post uh, in defense of that, of that position is this is a posture and a moment to listen. And I think for a lot of professionals of color, we don't get these kind of moments where white people listen to us. Our bosses don't listen to us. Our colleagues don't listen to us. You know, our, our clients don't listen to us in this way, in this moment. And so it's extremely helpful just to listen, to take in the kind of conversations. I mean, I, I have a rolling set of anecdotes I tell every other day on social media about what it's like working while black. Like some of the situations I've gone through, like I, I posted today about how I went to, uh, I'm an executive recruiter. I took a white woman to lunch. She invited me to lunch at her private club. And we had a wonderful conversation as she was trying to transition into the nonprofit sector from the corporate arena. I walked downstairs, the valet hands me my keys to my car, which is parked in the front. I don't drive a sports car. I was driving at the time a Prius. I was like, wow, my car is parked up front. That's gotta be a first for a Prius. I sit, I sit in the Prius in a Hermenio Dozania suit, a Ferragamo tie and Gucci loafers, checking my Blackberry in the driver's seat when a valet comes running up, accusing me, another valet, of stealing my own car, right? Bangs on the window, get out of this car, you stole everybody's security. And long story short, I, I call the manager, the manager fires him. I go back home, I'm back to the search firm, and I'm gonna write a letter to the CEO of that company and give him my, you know, piece of my mind. And the, uh, the CEO was recruited by our firm, right? And so I'm sitting there like, wow, I work at the firm that recruited the CEO of the dining club that accused me of stealing my own car. I've got to show up at the three o'clock meeting perhaps and you know, not tell people what happened when they say, how was lunch, mm. right? So, so that kind of, those kind of anecdotes are what black people are, have been dealing with. And I can go on and on and on and on of stories like that, that just never, who am I going to tell that to? Mm -hmm. Right. I can't, my, my white colleagues are not going to believe it or they're going to, it's going to be so awkward. They'll kind of move on. So yeah. a time now to listen is so important uh, to understand exactly some of the weight and burden that your, your black executives and professionals and staff are carrying uh, and to understand that we come to the organization and the company with different expectations, different realities I don't expect corporate America to solve every problem that bedevils me uh, as a black man, but it's also unrealistic to think it doesn't impact my work style. It doesn't impact my trust level with the organization. It doesn't impact a lot of things that I think are important to acknowledge. That's so, so good, Rory. I think um, there is a, um, there is sometimes a separation between like, well, you're a different type of black person. Like between the three of us, we are right. we we have hella degrees. We we worked with some of the great organizations of our time, and we have clients that are major clients, and we still have these stories, and we still have these anecdotes. And the black experience is not a monolithic experience by far, but we do have this shared sort of sense of um, the black experience of living in America that is a shared experience. We're all different. We all have different thoughts and just like everyone else, but we have the shared experience of like, I wonder if that happened because I was black and it doesn't matter if you're 
someone that may not exist in the spaces that we exist or if we you are the most accomplished person, we still have those experiences. So I appreciate that. Okay, so this is the space about allyship. Um, again, first, acknowledging your privilege. Second, owning your own education. And third is really about taking the action. Um, when I do allyship conversations, it always features a workshop component because it's about real time when these scenarios happen, how do you speak up? How do you interrupt when someone tells an off-color joke? You know, how do you show up in those spaces? How do you help people on their journey? So that's what allyship is about. And then just, again, on the safe space conversation, how to wrap it, how to point people to different resources. So that is also available on rebuildtoday.org. Um, the last thing um, I wanted to highlight just before we um, go to Q&A, which I'm sure there are lots of questions, um, we also have, um, you know, kind of, we all kind of loosely exist in the DEI space, but there are a ton of other consultants that are actively working with people. We all come from different lenses. Um, and so there's a huge directory if you need additional resources of where you can find support. If you know we're not your, your people, there are a lot of other people that you can work with if you need additional support. So we have that there for you. Um, hope people can join the conversation tomorrow, but um, really wanted to, to shift to Q&A because um, we wanna make sure that we're answering real-time questions that, um, that, that you all have. So um, Liz, or team, do we have any questions in our chat? Yeah, absolutely, and thank you so much. I've learned a lot. This has been really great, and I super appreciate it. Um, the first question I thought was a really interesting one, and Rory and Ebby, I don't know if you heard this, but at the beginning, we were doing a kind of, hey, let's all get to know each other, post who you are, where you came from, and your spirit animal, and somebody asked if that was cultural appropriation, so I thought we'd ask y'all. think so um yeah i don't i don't think so uh do y'all want to talk about examples of cultural appropriation maybe as a, a counter yeah, <laughs> yeah so like um there's um a book that um is called tribe of mentors and it's um sort stormy who is it it's somebody i can't the name is escaping me and but anyway he went out Sorry, who? Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tim Ferriss went out and asked a whole bunch of people the same questions, and it was really great. Is is that cultural appropriation using the word tribe? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think about a cultural appropriation. It's hard to know the difference between appropriation and appreciation, but I think that the difference, the line, is crossed when you don't actually acknowledge the culture that you are trying to appreciate. So many people just assume the identity of a culture without giving credit to that culture. So I think if you're thinking about whether it's appreciation or appropriation, think about are you acknowledging like if you are super into hip hop and um, the history of hip hop, like that's a very black experience that came out of the black community. Totally fine. We all have appreciation for it, but it's also acknowledging that that was birthed um, from the black experience as an example. So that's how I think about the line between appropriation and appreciation, but any other thoughts, Rory or Abby, on that? No, my, my, my particular lens on that is um, I, I find all of that very important, but I would rather have my supervisor promote me alongside my white colleagues 
mm-hmm. and spend too much time trying to figure out whether to call me black or African-American or Negro or whatever, right? Yeah. So yeah. This is not unimportant, mm-hmm. but I don't want to take our eye off the ball of the real protein of the workplace. And, and I think some organizations lurch toward getting everything precisely correct from a PC perspective and they lose sight on the fact that's all fine and well. I appreciate Black History Month. I appreciate, you know, my CEO not saying anything crazy, but I'd also like parity on pay, on promotions, on opportunities in the C-suite, on the board. I like real mentoring opportunities. I like stretch assignments. I like not to be the first hired and the first fired, right? So I just think we have to put that in the context of what, what is gonna move the needle meaningfully. Absolutely. And I think, I think to tease out a little bit of that, know that you are going to make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, apologize, acknowledge it and move on. This is a, it is a sort of tricky space because what, what, what is happening is that for a lot of people, people are seeing their privilege for the first time. And so now you're trying to navigate to say, oh man, like, how do I, you know, how do I proceed? Just know that you're going to make mistakes, apologize, and move on. What's really important to Rory's point is the action. Now what? Mm-hmm. Now what? And, and, and it's important for, for Black people not to impute, you know, a Klansman-like racial identity because you call me Black and I prefer African American or vice versa. Like, we, we, we also can't be the arbiters of, like, what is the most, like, I missed a couple of letters on LGBTQ, right? Yes. You didn't say IA plus. Okay, right, you know, my mother-in-law is lesbian. I live in this world every day. I'm sorry I didn't read Human Rights Campaign's latest update on like what the acronym is, yes. right? So we, we just gotta make sure we don't, let, we don't let form get in the way of substance all the time and, and to not police form to the detriment of, of other more meaningful conversations. I love that, thank you. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I don't really have anything to add to that. I I agree wholeheartedly. Awesome. Thank right. you. <laughs> okay, next question comes from Laura Shook, and it's saying I'm noticing BIPOC as an inclusive acronym. Is that indeed inclusive and sensitive to the humans involved? What is the acronym? BIPOC. I saw that. I saw that you had sent that into something, and I don't even. That's not a term that I use. Black mm. indigenous people of color, right? Is that I think I think that's what it is, but, but yes, frankly, it is. I don't I think I think we gotta go with what Rory just said for the last question. I, I think it's it's more about like outcome and intent than just kind of the specificity of form. Um VIPOC mm-hmm. is not significantly different than LGBTQ versus LGBTQIA plus. Um, I think if this is an issue you're trying to address that's specific to Black people, just say Black people or say African-American people. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think Mm -hmm. trying to be too inclusive really dilutes the message. Mm -hmm. And just on the Black versus African-American, just to clarify, Black people encompasses people that are not just from America. Black people exist all over the world. So when you talk about African-Americans, you're really talking about the, the American experience for Black people that live here. Um, but the Black, that's why Black people, I think, is more appropriate because there are Black people all over the world. So, 
Yeah, it was interesting. I heard him talking about that on NPR this morning, and mm -hmm. they were saying just the fact that we're still having this discussion means mm -hmm. there's a problem. That's right. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a really simple way of putting it. Um, okay, so we had a question slash comment from Ashley Proctor saying, looking for action items, would love to hear what others are thinking, discussing in their communities and doing in their organizations. I'd love to find some great examples of folks getting it right. I'd love to hear from the community here. I mean, we exist at a very corporate space. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious of if there are any people here that on the, that own a co-working space that have done something cool mm -hmm. that, that has been impactful. And then we can yeah. obviously talk about examples, but I'm curious if anyone has any. Okay. Um, I think like, if you do, why don't uh -huh. you raise your hand in the participants? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe while, if that's too technical, too much technology, then I'll, I'll talk through kind of um, examples of actionable things that I've seen organizations do right during this time. Mm -hmm. So I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is um, on your action, it has to be something I think that's authentic to your organization. So for an example, one of my clients is community.com. It's a text message platform for um, people to use a phone number to reach their community. So social media is so messy now, it's noisy, it has a lot of um, just mess and it's often hard to get direct, direct messages to your community. So you can now do that through text messaging. The first round of people were like all the celebrities, all the music people, JLo, Diddy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So as a response in this time, what community.com has done is actually built a program for local community organizers that are activating in their space. And we are giving them the platform for free. We're giving them additional resources to support their causes. And we are providing them with additional support. So that's something that's authentic to them as a product that feels still impactful to, um, to, to the community. Um, and it, but it's, what's important, I think, is to be authentic. What is authentically part of your DNA of your organization and to figure out a solution um, for that. So I don't know if anyone has raised their hands, but yeah, yeah. Actually, I believe Amy King might be willing to share. Amy, can you hear us? Sure. Um, did you want me to ask my question that I put in the chat or more about yeah, sharing? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you um, share and finish up with a question? <laughs> okay. Um, well, we uh, were, I had put in the chat that we're trying to measure um, our diversity in our community because you can't improve what you, you can't measure. And we're about to do a demographic survey because um, I, when I eyeball my community, I brag all the time that we have at least like 40% African-Americans in our membership. But I don't wanna go around touting that if that's not totally accurate. So um, that's something that we're looking at just on a tangible basis. Um, and in terms of communication, we, did decide to send something out to our members about what's going on and in support of Black Lives Matter. But we're, um, we structured it so that we did a list of um, businesses in our membership that people can support. So we have about 15 different businesses and charities that people could dig into a little more. So it feels pretty authentic, but I have to be honest, it still felt forced to me and and that's not really a question it's just kind of a statement because 
we're doing it already and we're having the conversations in person. And I didn't want to flood everyone's email box with like just another, <laughs> yet another um, essay about Black Lives Matter when people might be too busy taking action. So that was my sensitivity about what's going on in our co-working community. And then I had a question for the panelists about, um, I was looking for more recent writings about inherent bias and kind of wondering what you're using in your consulting these days to help corporate leaders understand their bias. Because the only thing that I was able to find was a, a fairly old um, book about bias that was written by a, an ex-police chief and just trying to help people understand their bias in, mm -hmm. in their day-to-day -day actions. Okay, awesome. Well, first I wanna highlight that the, you highlighted two really good, I think, best practices around collecting demographic data so you understand who's in your community and two, supporting local black businesses within your community. I think those are two really, really great um, actions that uh, co-working spaces can do now that feels very appropriate. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, on bias, I'll start and then everybody feel free to um, jump in. And maybe Liz, it make, probably makes more sense. I can send resources to Liz so that yeah. really good bias resources. Um, that probably is the easiest. Um, I reference so much. Um, and so I just want to be clear, you're talking about sort of like the general education around bias and how particularly to mitigate it within an organization. I'm guessing that's what it is. So I'll send with some resources, but uh, Rory or Abby, do you have any off the hand, off cuff that you feel like are really good in terms of bias? Um, I, I don't in terms of bias. I know that we, we do talk about, like when we talk to our clients, um, we, we talk to them about understanding bias as being important, but it not being enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's one of those, and we've seen a lot of statements go out where companies are saying we're gonna we're gonna check our bias and we're gonna create a book club and we're gonna talk to. I've heard organizations we're gonna create a white privilege anti-bias community group and literally get together and and there's a group talking about race together amongst themselves. Um, I th I think that's a start. It's definitely a start to really inform and educate yourself. But I think taking action is, is a lot broader. It's a lot bigger than that. Like that's that is that is the the crust. I mean, we got to get into the whole pie, and that means taking taking steps. Like even with your co-working space, for instance, there's a lot of things that could be offered um, to specifically like a couple of interesting things as you guys think about being co-workers co-working co spaces. Ninety-eight percent of Black businesses didn't even qualify for PPP loans because they don't have employees. So if you have a black business in your co-working space with more than one employee, they're already in the 2% of the most successful black businesses in the country. Um, just the simple fact they employ other people. Um, knowing that they didn't get access to the resources, more than likely they didn't get any PPP money, um, knowing all of the challenges that exist, there could be opportunities there where you could support your your own black businesses with maybe a, a free seat for an additional employee or something in your co-working space. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, this is not a book on bias and everybody may have already read it, but Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, I think is a good sort of 
text to talk about uh, how bias in certain ways creep into everyday actions that we don't even know about. Uh, she is a white woman speaking to white people about issues of race and bias. So it's not a training, but it's a, it's a very good book, I think, uh, to talk about how it operationalizes kind of in, in society. In, in terms of uh, best practices, I look at inequality in the workplace through two uh, primary lenses. One is capital and the other is information. And so I'll speak on the information piece. Information can be bridged, that gap can be bridged by cross-racial mentor-protege relationships. Um, so if you have successful white businesses that are your clients and you've got startup black businesses, there's probably a lot of information that white business could tell, even about a business that's not in their sector, about how to scale, how to conserve capital, how to market, how to bootstrap, when to raise venture capital, how to create a board, just all the mechanics of being a startup, that could be extremely helpful. At the NFL, one of the things we did really well was, uh, I called it you know, breaking up the, the white male cartel but we had a mentor protege program where white men, senior white men mentored younger white men. Uh, and they got information, they got inside, inside access, they got stretch assignments, they got all the key ingredients they needed on top of their performance to really break through as a leader in their function or at their tier. And women and people of color and black folks didn't have that. Excuse me, and so no matter how well you performed, you didn't know that the Super Bowl was going digital. You didn't know that the uh, Pro Bowl is going to move to a, a band drafts system. You, you didn't know any of that stuff, so you couldn't stay ahead of it. So what we did is we we broke up the cartel and said white men are going to interview, are going to mentor younger, pr primarily black women and women of color. And uh, I've been gone for the NFL about seven or eight years, but people still talk to me about how that was a pivotal inflection point in their careers. Many of these young women moved into new roles in different departments uh, with an EVP that was singing their praises as a sponsor, as someone that had their back and lent some equity to them. Uh, young black men in particular had sponsors, people they never would have met that they were intimidated by that helped them get to that next level. So whatever way you can foster those relationships to bridge that information gap, uh, that can be helpful. Love, love, love that. I mean, there's so many ways to do that. Um, and it's so important to sort of democratize access to information um, as a way that is an easy way to be very impactful. Um, you know, putting it on a program, maybe to like let people know about the resources available as an example is so good. Um, and, and just to close on the bias piece before we move to the next question, unconscious bias training is often the first place that organizations go. And I just want to just echo what was said before about it's a, it's a decent place to start. It's a good place to acknowledge that we all have bias. It permeates in everything that we do, but without really thinking about how to mitigate it in your organization, it's not an effective training. So yes, do the training, but also think about how to mitigate it in your organization. And sort of that's what, what I help organizations do. Okay, Liz, next question. Uh, well, it sounds, it looks like Iris has her hand raised, so we just unmuted Iris. Iris, if you wanted to share or ask a question. Okay, I, yeah, I wasn't sure if I should do it in the chat or here, so thank you so much. And thank you to Valerie and Rory and Abby. Um, this is so invaluable. 
Um, so my partner and I run an organization called Women Who Co-Work, and we are a platform for the female entrepreneurs of the co-working movement to come together in a community space and in a safe way so that we can um, you know, support each other as female entrepreneurs. Um, Laura and I have spent the majority of our professional and personal lives educating ourselves about you know, the Black experience in America and the history of this country. Um, and we felt that our platform provides us an opportunity to elevate the Black females of the co-working movement um, and elevate voices um, of Black ownership in co-working. Um, and it is, has been a goal of ours individually and collectively to do so, but we've hesitated in the past because as two white women, um, you know, we're building an organization in the way that we know how to do, but we don't know how to do it in a way that um, answers the needs of everybody at the table. And, and, and as important as it is to us to have a place for everybody at the table, we only know what our own experience is. Mm. So at this point, um, this is a topic that everyone is discussing and we feel that it's really important, important that we do have you know, both a statement but also a platform that we can move forward with. But we don't know, we're, we're hesitant for how to do it without it appearing to be tokenism. Thank you. Can I just talk about that for a second? Um, just somebody throw some at the screen if I'm still talking about this and it's like a half hour later. <laughs> the, the, I'll give, I won't bury the lead. So the headline here is just to, to be honest and actually talk through the fact of what you don't know, right? Almost narrate through the ambiguity. I don't know, I don't know what to say, but I feel like I should say something. This makes me feel like this. This makes me feel this way. I don't want our community to be this way. I want to find a way to help. And you could put out a call, right? And say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm announcing to our community that I want to be helpful. Here is my email address. If you have any ideas about how I can be helpful, I am all ears. I'm listening and I'm available. I went through a very um, similar journey uh, myself with LGBTQ issues. And um, I, I use that, it, it, it provides great empathy for me, more empathy than I used to have uh, about white people going through their own racial awareness and understanding and how thick the cloud, how much misinformation. I grew up in the South. I went to a Catholic boys school that I revere, that I now understand was rife with some toxic masculinity in it, right? And so I meet my wife, who, my girlfriend at the time, who tells me her mother's lesbian. And I'm like, what do I do with that, right? As if it's something to deal with, like as if she just said, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'll be carrying around a 10 pound weight on every date, right? I didn't know what it meant. But through her, her partner, her inter, my mother-in-law's interracial partner, every Thanksgiving, we would talk about these issues and she would help me unwrap and unravel issues that I just had unconscious bias about. I didn't even know that I was biased about it. I didn't even know what I thought about it. Um, and it's given me an extraordinary amount of sensitivity to it now. And so what I think about is, you know, how many times are 
Latino people thinking about Native American struggle? How many times are uh, heterosexual people thinking about trans struggles, right? And that we all should be sensitive to each other's struggles. And so I make, I make a purpose right now to be an ally on LGBTQ issues to activate that awakening and that evolution, to say, I'm not just gonna be educated, I'm actually gonna call people out, call my friends out on the, on the, on the, on the you know, uh, homophobic joke. Um, I have a podcast, I have a whole episode about black men, straight and gay black men having authentic relationships, kind of wading into these conversations. So the, the net of it is you don't have to have all the answers right now, but it is so powerful to say, I want to listen, I want to learn, I want to be part of the solution, and I'm here. Love that so much. Thank you, Rory. You know, um, that's how this conversation started because I reached out to Lisa McGill and was like, I'm so uncomfortable. I feel like I should say something. I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying and I want to be a leader. So help me. And that's why we have this call today. So, yeah. and go ahead. No, I totally cut you off. I can go after you. It's totally fine. Um, and I think, you know, the thing that's disheartening to me is we figured out we had sent this and I know it was only in 48 hours, but we sent this to about 10,000 eyes and we had a ton of clicks and we have 46 people on and it is predominantly white females. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, guys, what is happening? How are you not paying attention to this? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I just really invite everyone on this call to go educate yourself and go have these conversations. I'm so thankful that we're doing this. And we do have a couple more questions, but I wanted to turn it back to Valerie because I need to be respectful of everybody's time. Of course. Yeah. And I just um, want to highlight Lisa again. Lisa is a friend of mine. We sit on a board together and you know, Liz mentioned she reached out to Lisa for this opportunity and Lisa could have very well held this conversation, but she was like, you know what, I think it's more appropriate for you to do that. And she turned this over to me. So I just want to acknowledge her and to say that she, this is a way that she showed up as an ally. She was like, you know what? No, you need to have this conversation. You do this. So thank you, Lisa, for that. And yeah, thank you all for taking the time. I want to be respectful of time as well. Um, again, if you want to reach us, um, rebuildtoday.org has all of our like links and you can get to us in any way. We have the conversation tomorrow specifically around hiring and very sort of corporate solutions. So if you're interested in that, the information for the call is on there. But again, thank you so much, Liz, for the opportunity. And um, again, we're available if you need any support. Thank you so much. And thank you, Rory. And thank you, Ebby. We will definitely be following up. Any, any final thoughts um, any of you guys want to share with us? And then we'll call it a day. Rory, Ebby, any final thoughts? Just thank you for having the courage to have the conversation. Um, it starts here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Well, enjoy your day. Thank you.